This morning we'll turn again to the Psalms. This is our, throughout this summer from May through August, we're looking at the Psalms. But uh, if you've read the Psalms, you may have noticed it's a pretty big, there's a lot of words there. It's 150 Psalms. Some are relatively short. Others are quite long. And, um, and so we're not looking at all of them. We're looking at some themes. And kind of actually, up to this point, following how the Psalms themselves organize those themes. The first Psalm is actually a song about what does the flourishing person look like? And there's a surprising amount, a surprising way to begin. We might think it'd be like, we're going to give praise to God. That's our first where we start. But it actually starts with a picture of the godly person. And then it, that continues, and that theme is, is developed throughout the Psalms. But then in the second Psalm, it's a totally different thing. It begins with a big picture, with the king and his kingdom. And there's a lot of Psalms that are particularly focused on the coming king, who, of course, we know is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we looked at, at several of those psalms. Psalm 3 and 4 take a different turn. And it is, and, but it is one that is perhaps the most predominant theme in the psalms. And that is psalms of struggle. Psalms where we find the, the psalmist, as he sings to the Lord, is having a tough time with things or situations and all that's going on in his heart. And so... So this month, we're going to focus on the struggles that we have in regards to anxiety and grief and perplexity, and we're going to see how the psalmist processes those emotions before the Lord. Um, one of the things to see then, and I think one of the key takeaways from this, I hope you get from the whole month as we talk about it, is that the godly person the person who is the follower of the Lord and who looks like God in this world and according to his moral characteristics is not the person who doesn't struggle. Even our Lord Jesus struggled. If you read the Gospels carefully, you'll see that he had struggles. They were somewhat different because he didn't have sin, but he still had to face very tough things that his human nature struggled with. And then in the Psalms we see that, that there's all kinds of struggle and the way they reflect Jesus' own struggle. But the point is this. The godly person is not the person without struggles. The godly person is the person who takes their struggles and processes them before the Lord. That's the key. And so sometimes we get to the conclusion of that, what happens after we've struggled, and we want to rush there. But rather than recognizing we often need to go through a time of struggle, and we need to enter into a time of struggle with other people. So that's one of the things I hope you'll see as we go through that this month. But today I want us to read Psalms 3 and 4. The themes are somewhat similar. And, uh, and the result is somewhat similar, as we'll see. So let's listen to God's Word as it comes to us from Psalms 3 and 4. Psalm 3, a psalm of David, when he fled from his son Absalom. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord. Deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. 
From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. And Psalm 4, for the director of music with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, many Lord are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our great and glorious God, we praise you, O Lord, that you have spoken to us through your word to give us light on our way. We thank you, O Lord, that you have not simply delivered us a standard, but that you have shown us the way to deal with it in the light of the real and difficult situations that we face. And so, O Lord, we pray that you would teach us today. Give us your light from your word. Help us to understand. Help us to be able to work through this passage and lift our hearts up unto you, that we might see the resource we have in you as we struggle with anxiety. And so, Lord, we, we thank you that we have you as our resource, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, um, as we look at Psalm 3 and 4, we see uh, the psalmist is filled with some anxiety. He is struggling with some things. And as we look at that, we know that we ourselves have anxiety. In fact, um, I've thought a lot about anxiety. And, 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 and over the years, I've kind of tried to think through what's going on with me when I have anxiety. So whenever I struggle with things or feel like I'm ang- angry and and worried about a situation, I've often made notes. In 2017, I really went at it. I, I had it, developed a journal, and I made a list of every time I felt anxiety over things and reacted in a certain way that indicated that I had anxiety. And that list was really, really, really long. I'll give you an example. I got anxiety because I needed people to agree with me too much. So if we had a discussion and someone didn't agree, I just felt a little bit anxious. I got anxiety over how badly I played Dutch Blitz, a card game. I had a lot of anxiety about someone else's anxiety about things changing in the church. I had anxiety because I wanted to watch a movie, and I couldn't find two hours that I could devote to actually watching a movie because I was so busy. I got anxiety because someone was resistant to the advice on how to, that I was giving them on how to solve their problems. And the list goes on and on and on. It was really like a revelation. To say like anxiety kind of hits us in a ton of ways. And so, so that's, that's what the psalmist is dealing with. And he's really dealing with, with some, some real threats. And so before I kind of go into that, I want to just talk about, so what are we, what are we talking about when we're talking about anxiety? So anxiety is a God-given emotion 
And it is an emotion that is, is designed to move us away or prepare us for perceived threats. Now notice I say perceived threats because anxiety will move us away from these things whether or not the threats are real. Sometimes the threats are real and other times the threats are not real. But more often there is some sort of threat, but it's not, it's not, that, but it's not necessarily as great as we think it is. Or sometimes it is actually greater than we think it is. So we may not have... So, for example, um, the issue of, of bears. One thing is, I, I studied, like, how, how much should we fear a bear attack in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park? And the answer is um, that, that there are some bear attacks. Usually most are relatively minor. And, but only in the history of the, of the park, only one person has died from, an, from a bear attack. Now, I know some people I said that, and they're like, oh my gosh, someone has died <laughs> from a bear attack. And they're like, I'm not going there at all. But note, you, there is actually 10 people die every year in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. You know why they die? From car accidents. So that's every year, right? So we're not afraid of the car, we're afraid of the bear. Why? Because the bear feels scary. And I must admit, I was hiking last year, and I looked down the first time I saw a bear down a little bit down the hill when I was hiking with some friends, hiking up Mount Lacan. When that bear started going up the hill, I decided I was going, not going to say, well, you know, I think about it. Only one person has ever died. So no, I was moving. And they said, it's time to go. I don't want to see. I don't want to be the second, right? So, so that's, so, 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 you know, it's a scary thing. Other things aren't scary, like a car, we might say, it's like, it doesn't feel scary. But yet, there's actually a lot of fatalities to that. Now, today we're going to offer you uh, moon pies uh, from, via, from uh, Mike Began, who's one of our elders, who's also the owner of the Moon Pie General uh, Store and Book Warehouse uh, down in Pigeon Forge. You can stop and visit him. But he decided he would offer us moon pies. So on that back table, there's a bunch of moon pies. Now, if you look at that table, they probably don't look that scary. However, if you keep eating a bunch of those every day, it can cause you real problems. You may not feel anxiety over it, but yet that is, but in a way it is an actual threat. So, so that's the, the thing is we often don't see it. We often don't see it correctly. Now, anxiety is in general an emotion. And, and so it's one of the emotions that God has given us. And emotions are, are things that God has designed to move us toward what is good and away from what is bad. They're internal movers. And God wanted that to move us towards what is good and away from what is bad. And so sometimes we'll, you know, we'll hear this saying, don't be so emotional, and, and, which is usually a very effective way of calming down the situation, right? But it's actually completely wrong, too. No, actually, God has made us to be intensely emotional beings, and we're supposed to be. Because those are the things that move us towards things and away from, and away from bad things. If we just knew about stuff, it, why move toward it or away from it? Why even preserve our own life? There's something that's impelling us to do what is good for ourselves and, and, and to love ourselves, we might say, and to move away from that which harms us. And what, I mean, really the height of, of, of our faith is what? It's an emotion, it's love towards God and love towards our neighbors that is compelling us forward 
to be able to love others and to serve others and to do good things for ourselves and others. So we want to be really emotional. But the problem is our emotions are often not calibrated to what is good and to what is right. And so they can mess us up. And so, so we want to get our emotions pointed in the right direction. Not, one of the key things to learn about our emotions is that our emotions do not always reflect reality. So if just because I'm anxious, just because I'm scared, doesn't mean somebody's following me or chasing me. But when, when I feel anxious, it feels really like there is because emotions are really loud. They're not always right, but they're loud, and so it's hard to ignore. And so to understand, emotions can be recalibrated, but it, we have to do that through a process of rethinking, through struggle, through prayer, and so on, as we're going to talk about talk about today, but we want to get them in the right way. And so how do we get anxiety in the right way? Because anxiety can actually be good. Again, it moves us away from what is bad. So we want to move away from what is bad. And if we say, for example, if I don't have any, if I don't work, then I won't have any money for college. That's a sort of anxiety. I need money for college. And so the anxiety leads me, hopefully, to do something good, to work. Or to apply for scholarships so I can have money for college. We may say if I keep smoking like I'm smoking, not me personally, but a person might do this, then this could cause me serious health problems. And so I better get that under control. And so that is anxiety. That is good. But sometimes also anxiety can be bad. Well, I mean, that, and this is the key reason, because we might just say, well, anxiety is okay, not worry about it. But I think we all know, that for some reason, although to some degree, that anxiety can be a problem at times. It can be a problem because it gets, anxiety just goes round and round in our head in such a way that it keeps us from the things we're supposed to, doing, supposed to be doing. So we may be worrying about things in the future, and we forget the people that we're supposed to care for right in the present. It moves us away from good goals so that we're, we're focused on things that may or may not be threats, and then we miss doing the things that will help us become what God has called us to be. Sometimes it can harm our relationships when we relate to people out of anxiety rather than in accordance to truth. And it can also, and it can also harm our health. Uh, it, can, it can actually, I know when my anxiety gets high, I have specific markers. And it's like, I know, sometimes it's hard to even know your anxiety is high. And then I, I have specific things like that happen to my, to my health that I know like, man, my, my emotional intensity is way up and I need to give some attention onto this. And if that goes on and on, then it can get really bad. One of those ways that this is manifested is in the area of sleep. And you'll notice that in the Psalms, what he talks about here in both these passages is the ability to sleep. Sleep is super important. It's one of the most important things we can do for our health. And so when we can't get sleep, then that kind of wrecks everything else. So the key question I want us to, to consider today is what does this passage teach us about how to get sleep? Put in the broader way, how to deal with anxiety well. We're not going to get rid of anxiety, and in some ways we don't want to because it can be helpful. But what we want to do is to get it, keep it within bounds and keeping us moving away from, the, from the, the things that we should be moving away from towards the things we should be moving towards and then keep it within the proper, its proper relationship to us as human beings. So how are we going to do that? Well, look at the psalmist and, and 
consider that he was a person who was dealing with anxiety. And he was dealing not with just perceived threats, not with just things that he thought were threats, but he was dealing with real threats. And by the way, there's a little outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along. There's a little paper inside there. And that has an outline if you want to follow that. If you want to fill in the blanks, you can. If you want to just listen, that's fine too. But the first thing is he had anxiety over his enemies. Listen to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. So he had anxiety over his enemies because he had real enemies. He's the, in this case, this was written when his own son was seeking to attack him and kill him and take his throne, and a whole bunch of people were joining with him. So this is not an imaginary threat. This is a real threat. People literally trying to kill you. And so he's dealing with something. It's not just something where he can say, ah, that's not a real threat. Like, I'm probably not going to die from a bear. No, he's saying, like, if I'm not careful, I really will die. So this is, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about tens of thousands assailing him on every side. Secondly, he had anxiety over, over the way people acted. Look at verse uh, 2 of chapter 4. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? So what he was seeing is that there were people who were doing wrong things in his nation, and it really bothered him. Have you ever had that experience? Anybody have that experience? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. No, of course you have. It's like, it's like the, our food and drink in this land, right? These people are wrong. These people are bad. These people are bad. These people are bad. And it's like, that's our food and drink here. This is what he's talking about. And it's not imaginary threat. There's like people really who have wrong views, who do wrong things that could do real damage. So he is, has anxiety over the ungodly. Third, he had anxiety over the future. Look at in verse 6 of chapter 4. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? So, is that a question we ever ask? So, um, so one of the things I do part-time, uh, mainly for fun, a little bit for some extra money, is I do Uber. And I, a bunch of people said to me yesterday, I haven't done it a lot this, this year, but a bunch of people was like, man, gas is getting up at 450. That's scary. Why? Because it's like it keeps eating into the paycheck. So he's asking the question we all ask. Who will bring us prosperity? Because we're concerned that inflation is going to eat up all our prosperity. And so that is an issue. It's, an, it's, an, it's a question. In this day, it was, in his time, it was a more agrarian society. So every year, they're like, are the crops actually going to come up? We're going to have food to eat. Who will bring us prosperity? How will we survive? So these are the things that he's struggling with. So how... Did David, as he wrote this, keep from letting that drive him crazy? How did he keep it from letting him, uh, from, from deterring him from his duties? How did he get sleep when he had all these threats all around him? Well, that's what we want to see in the next point, is the solution to anxiety. And in many ways, it's so obvious, it's almost ridiculous. And you're going to be like, if this is all you've got, then we're going to fire you as our pastor. Because it's like, it's so simple and so ridiculously simple, but yet something we so often forget that I almost feel a little bit, slightly embarrassed to say it. And that is, we go to God in prayer. 
like pray, right? That's the big thing. When we're dealing with anxiety, we have something to do. We can pray about it. And, and literally, that's what David is doing. These psalms are about prayer. They're, he's taking his anxieties. He's saying, here's what I'm feeling. And then he's going to God and saying, here, God, here's all my problems. That's what he's doing. And you can see, he says that specifically. Verse 4 of chapter 3, I call out to the Lord. And in verse 7, he's calling out to the Lord. He's speaking to him. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. In, in beginning of chapter 4, he says, Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. And we can see this also in uh, the end of verse 6. Or... Um, He says, let the light of your face shine upon us. So he's asking the Lord to do some things. So he's saying saying simply this. I'm in struggle, so what do I do? I don't just let it sit here. I let it go here. And it's really, really simple. But how often do we really do it? It's easy to forget. Even when we have big problems, we, we forget. And we're just thinking about them, thinking about them. What can I do? 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 Instead of saying, Lord, here's my problem. Help me, O Lord. Read a, I, I've been reading a series of biographies or just short biographies called, from a book called We Were Christians. And it's about many people that affected the world in some way and how they're, and it's kind of, he doesn't emphasize all the biographical details, but he goes through um, what their spiritual life was like, because that, that was a big part of what made them, and it's often ignored in the other biographies. So in the case of Abraham Lincoln, who was president of the United States during our Civil War, uh, he, he was a man of prayer. And he also had to make some very hard decisions that I'm sure caused him a lot of anxiety, both the fact that he had to win the war and also the cost of winning the war, which was huge. But the beginning of the war, a lot of people wondered, you know, is the Civil War going to last a couple years or a couple months, a couple weeks? So they went out to the first battle, which is called the, we call the Battle of Bull Run. It's right outside, it took place right outside of Washington, D.C. in Virginia. And, and it was so, it, people were so, thought of it so lightly that l- literally some of the leading women of the, of the Washington, D.C. went out to a hillside and had a picnic to watch the battle. But then it became really bad, and, it, and people started dying, and the North, the, that Abraham Lincoln's army, the army of the United States, lost and lost badly, and everybody started running back to Washington, D.C., where he had all the fortifications. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, no, this is going to be terrible. And they all of a sudden dawned in on them. So how did Abraham Lincoln then get, get the strength to go from 1861, when that happened, to on forward to 1865? Well, there was a man in the White House at that time. And he, he, he said he walked, after the battle, he walked by Abraham Lincoln's office. And the door was slightly open. And he heard him speaking, but no one was in there. No, he was on his knees, seeking the Lord's help, asking for guidance, uh, speaking to the Lord, confessing his sins, and so on. And he went to the Lord in his time of trouble. And so, you know, we look at Abraham Lincoln and we say, man, he was able to do a lot. And he's very admired in this nation, rightly so. But how did he do it? 
because he went to the Lord in prayer. Now, the second thing about the anxiety solution to note is that one reason we go in prayer is because God is actually the one who's able to help us. Like, he can do something about a lot of the situations we can do nothing about, or very little. But prayer also helps us because it helps us to see not only the problems that we're facing, but it also helps us to see the God who is above the problems. And you know, when we have anxiety, anxiety kind of puts this like a laser focus. It's like you're thinking about the issue, and you just vroom, vroom, vroom. You're thinking about it, and you only see the problem. And then you can't get perspective. When we go into prayer, all of a sudden it's like the camera's moving back. And we see God and then the problem. And it's a totally different story. You can see this in verse 3. After saying, I got all kinds of people surrounding me trying to kill me. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. He's thinking, how am I going to get out of this? But then he says, verse 8. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. And then in verse 3 of chapter 4, he's thinking about his own struggle with the Lord and who cares uh, about anything. But then he says, look at verse 3. He says, know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. In other words, there may be big problems, but the Lord cares about me and I have an open channel because I can go to the Lord through his promises of grace and forgiveness that are given to us now through Jesus Christ. And every one of us, wherever we've been, whatever we've done, can go to the Father, to our Father in heaven, because Jesus has opened the way. And all we have to do is accept that and believe that, and we can go straight to the Father, and we can share everything, and we know that he cares for us, and he'll take care of us. And that enables us to see the problem in a totally different way. So, an example. So, you know, I talk to a lot of people. As a pastor, I have the privilege of being involved in people's lives and hearing a lot of things that other people might not hear about. And, you know, I remember being at a table with a bunch of people, and I talked to them about all their struggles. And one of the persons at the table said, said, I wish I was like the rest of you. You know, I struggle so much, and, you know, you all have it all together. And I was like, no. <laughs> I've talked to them. I know they all are struggling. You know, they all have issues, you know, that they had to deal with. Not the case. Everybody has that. But the one thing I will say is, so every one of us here has things that, that we struggle with from time to time. But you know, one thing I say is, if, if you think you know anxiety now, now uh, wait till you have kids. It's like, that's a whole different level of anxiety. That's what I will say. And kids are like the great anxiety inducers. And it's a real struggle not to relate to them out of anxiety, but in accordance with reality. And so we have to be careful with that. But how do we get the strength to do that? Well, it's through prayer. It's through seeking the Lord. And I remember one time when I was like really struggling with, with, with my kids and uh, just some things that were going on. And I was like, man, I got to get my head straight here. I'm, I'm not thinking right. So I just prayed to the Lord and I sought the Lord. And, and I said, you know, here's the thing. What I realized is oftentimes we see our kid doing something wrong or even something they might do wrong. And we, and we think like, They'll, we just think about that problem. We just extrapolate it into the future. So our kid's picking their nose, 
in their class, and it's like, man, they got to stop that, because if they don't stop that, they'll just keep doing that everywhere, and no one will like them, and they think they're, they know what to say, they don't want to be their friends, and they'll never succeed in life, and it'll be a total disaster. So, like, I'm kind of joking, right? I'm kind of joking there, but that's kind of what we do. So, but one thing I realized is, like, okay, so they're going to be in the future with their issues, but you know who else is going to be there? God. It's not, like, it's not like God's not part of their future life. God is going to be there, and he cares about them more than I do. And I really care about them. But you know who else is going to be there? Most likely, if I live a normal life, is me and my wife. And he's going to use us to help them. You know who else is going to be there? They're going to be there. And you know what people do? They learn things. <laughs> and they grow. And just like we made mistakes as parents and did all kinds of dumb things that we, you know, still learning from, our kids are going to be the same way. And so it's like I walked back from that and said, you know, the Lord will take care of it. The Lord will take care of it. And so I was able to relate in a better way. So the solution to anxiety then is really to trust in the Lord. You're not going to get away from anxiety. You're human. And you're not going to get away from it. The question is, what do you do with it? Do you seek to solve everything yourself? Or do you bring it before the Lord? That's our option. And I want to underline here this fact. Sometimes we'll say, sometimes we want to short-circuit this process. So we see someone struggling, and that makes us anxious. And so we say, hey, just trust in the Lord, brother, and you'll be okay. And that's it. Just trust in the Lord. You got anxiety? Just trust in the Lord. That's it. That's it. That's not really the way to do it. Because remember, trust in the Lord and, and in our anxiety is, is not just something that happens instantly. It's something that comes out of a struggle. See what's going on here. He's, not, he's processing these things. He's saying there's scary stuff going on. And I've got to bring it before the Lord. So if we want to help others, you know, we need to manage our own anxiety and enter into the struggle. And hear that. Help them. And pray with them. Pray for them. And so on. So it's not just something that comes instantly. But what it can do is make a big difference. And that's what you see here. The blessed result of following this, what the psalmist does here. And that, and that result, the first result, is really what we say peace. Peace. The Lord gives us peace. And it's described here in terms of sleep, actually. Um, In verse 5 and 6 of chapter 3, he says, I lay down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. And then in verse 8 of chapter 4, In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And it was interesting, um, after, after I gave this sermon in the first series, a woman who was visiting us from, from Michigan came up, and she said, man, I really needed that sermon. I really appreciated that. And, and here's why. Because she had a lot of trouble sleeping last night. And you, know, and you know why she had trouble sleeping last night? Because they visited the crime museum <laughs> today or, or yesterday. And so she's thinking about all the things that can happen. 
And, and so, so the, the biblical conclusion here is, don't go to the crime museum, go to Dollywood. <laughs> you know, that's obviously. So I said, make sure you go to Dollywood. <laughs> don't go to the crime museum. But in all seriousness, but it's interesting, this is a Christian woman. And you know what? She did eventually get to sleep. And you know how she got to sleep? Because she kept praying to the Lord. She kept praying to the Lord. And she's like, seeking the Lord. Lord, you can help me. You're my help. And so she was able to find sleep, even in the midst of dealing with a lot of scary things. There's another story uh, from, the, from the book that I mentioned that I, I really like, and, and it actually involves this passage. It was a story about Dag Hammarskjöld, who was the Secretary General of the United Nations in the 1950s. And he was dealing with a real threat, and that threat was nuclear war. Now, when you think about threats, like that's really high on the list of threats, right? I mean, that's not just like a little problem. That's a big problem. And he's, in a way, as the Secretary General of the Nine Nations, one of his jobs is to help keep the world from destroying each other with nuclear missiles. And then all of a sudden, there was a crisis over the Suez Canal in Egypt. And on one side, you had Britain and France and Israel, and the other side, Russia and Egypt. And, and, it just, and, and what happened was they thought they had bro- he had brokered a peace deal and then Israel, Britain, and France invaded and took over the Suez Canal, and Russia was threatening to use nuclear missiles. So that's a real threat. So when that, you're dealing with something like that, and again, he, we know how it turned out, right? We know the world's still here. But he didn't know that. So how is he going to find peace? Well, when he, died, there, when he died, there was a little book besides, beside his bed, and that book was a journal where he had written a lot of things. And when, it, when someone found that by his bedside and realized it was a journal, they're like, oh, cool, we're going to learn all kinds of stuff about what happened with the inside story and what Dag really felt about this person and that person. And there was none of that. It was his prayers, wrestling with the Lord. And on that day, when that peace deal fell apart, he wrote Psalm 4, verse 8, in peace lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. There's peace in the promises of the Lord. And you know what that leads to is the second result, which is productive activity. So how did Dag Hammarskjöld get back to work the next day and start trying to keep the world from blowing itself up? Well, he processed it before the Lord that gave him some margin so he could go do the things that God had called him to do. And you see that that's, that's what we can do too. You know, there's, God has created us in such a way that we want to do things, that we want to be part of community. But what happens is we get messed up in our mind. We get so preoccupied with these threats that we lose any margin to be able to serve people. And sometimes that takes a long time to work through. But that's what we want. The goal of, of keeping our anxiety within bounds and letting the Lord take care of the things he needs to take care of and letting us take care of the things that we need to take care of is that it gives us the opportunity to serve others, which also brings us joy. It gives us the margin. It releases us enough from anxiety so that we can do the things in the world that God has called us to do, that we can pursue goals, that we can think about other people, that we can let go of those things. That's why it's so crucial for us 
as believers, if we want to do the good works, which in our hearts we want to do, is to give attention to the issues that are, are going on in our hearts and minds and to process them before the Lord so that we can really do something in this world for the glory of God, for the good of our neighbors, for the good of our nations, for the good of the people around us, for the good of our families, and for the good of ourselves as well. That's the key. So how does it start? Well, this week I can guarantee you something's going to happen that's going to make you worry. It's going to make you struggle. It's going to bring you anxiety. I know that because you're human. But remember, we don't have to just let it sit here. We can bring it to the Lord. We have a resource. It may not always bring instant relief, though often it does. It may require a lot of struggling. It may require us to keep going to the Lord and keep going to the Lord. But we are not without resource in a world filled with anxiety. We do not let, have to let it paralyze us. We do not have to let it keep us from our duties. We do not have to let it keep us from sleep. Because we have a resource that God has given us in himself. We are not meant to process these emotions on our own. We are meant to process them before the Lord because we were created to live in a relationship with God, and that would be the first. And when we do so, we will find it will change our perspective. It will open up doors. Let's not let that resource go unused because we're going to be able to see that though we have threats, we have a shield. Though people pursue us to harm us, we have a refuge. Though we are in trouble, from the Lord comes deliverance. And though we have many cares, we can lie down and sleep because the Lord alone is the one who makes us dwell in safety. Amen.